Thanks, Jonathan. Good morning, Bethany Green Lake. My name is Scott. I'm the senior pastor of Bethany. It's a joy to be here. And Jonathan was saying this morning, and I love this perspective. He's like, we should all like believe that every Sunday, God's going to show up in such a way that our lives could be changed forever. And it's always true. And uh, I appreciate that perspective. I, I, I've also ran into a couple people today that are like, you know, God encountered me so much in the service, I stayed for the next service. So I want to warn you, the next service doesn't start till 7 p.m. So if you didn't pack a lunch, I'd say, like, let's just get this next hour. Get the most you can so you can actually go home after this. Enjoy the sun. Sound like a deal? All right. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this church, this day, this text, this opportunity. Open us up that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be hearing how you want to speak to us, God, how you want to be inviting us towards change and recognition of places maybe we've drifted from your heart and how you're wooing us back, or God, for the people that we are contending for, that we would not give up, that we would not give in to see Christ formed in the people that we love. God, we love you, and we look forward to meeting you in this time. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, we're in a new sermon series. We just came out of our discipleship series, and we're not, we're not done with that. It is the end of that series, but you're going to be hearing about that material in the year ahead because it's one of our core priorities that you would be in this church growing in your faith, growing as a disciple. But we are turning the page today into a new series called Parables for the next six weeks, looking at primarily the words of Jesus, the invitations of Jesus through story. And parables are stories that help us unpack what God wants to say to to us. We're starting in a bit of an unlikely place today. We're starting with the Old Testament. We're starting with this word from 2 Samuel, from the life of David. And our text, our title today is called, uh, what does it say in your bulletin? To be seen, to see, to heal. This is my third sermon. Everything is a bit Groundhog's Day in the moment, but to see, be seen, and be healed. That story helps us to be seen, to see others. And ultimately, you're not just like, okay, God saw me. No, to be changed, to be made more like him. I'd love to tell you a story, since we're doing a series about stories, to get started. In 2019, I come through a season of church planning Bethany North, and I was getting ready for my sabbatical from church ministry. And man, I, I, like, things were just running a million miles an hour, kind of like, you know, every, every gear was moving in my life. I just, we had started Bethany North eight, nine years before, and that's a lot of work to start a mobile church. And I had finished a Master of Divinity. My wife and I were raising four kids. We both worked. I was working by, by vocationally as a fisherman in Canada. And if that sounds like a few things too many, you'd be like, yeah, you're right, a few things too many. But it was like when I wasn't working or studying, then I was playing, because it's like, I want to go fishing, or I'll take my kids camping, or just like, all the things all the time and I needed a colleague here at Bethany an older wiser woman to say to me Scott like Jethro the father-in-law of Moses said to him in Exodus these things you're doing they're not good it's just too much and then she told me a story in this case a true story about someone who in ministry had values from the pulpit, this is the easy part, telling others what to do, but didn't live a good story and how they lost everything. And the story for me that she told, sending me into my sabbatical was a bit chilling in the right way. See, we are in a series about parables for two reasons. One, because we want your faith to grow. And, and Jesus often taught in story. He didn't, he didn't 
tell stories because he was scared of the truth. He knew that more often than not, we can receive truth from a story more than a sermon. So when Jesus told stories, it was to empower life change. This summer, we want you to grow in your faith and for you to be saying, Jesus, where are you at in my story right now? The second thing, a key, key marker, kind of the ethos, the lens, if you will, of how we're gonna approach this series is from a lens of relationship. And I don't know about you, but I found the last couple of years really lonely. I feel like my relationships in the church, a small group disintegrated, people left that we were doing church with, like just been hard. And so over the summer, even though we know people are camping and traveling, whatever, but even if you don't make the service, we want you to, to kind of lean in and, and listen to these messages over the summer because we think that God wants to challenge our relationships to grow. It wants to encourage us to not just kind of isolate and be like, I'm gonna just do my own thing or to kind of sit in the back and lob grenades at other people that view life differently, but that we would be reconnecting as God's people, caring enough about each other to tell the truth to one another and to hold grace for one another. And so when, when this older leader said that to me, it was like this incredible opportunity for me to hear the truth of my life and be invited to respond. Today, we're gonna look at the story of Nathan and, D- and David from 2 Samuel 12. And we're gonna look at kind of these three pockets of this, you know, kind of the gift of story and then sin and ultimately salvation, all in order that we would be leaning into story. Christ invites us to see and to be seen and ultimately to be healed, to be changed, to be restored. So let's start here with kind of the setup, the context, like what's the story that Nathan is telling? I get it. This is a little weird if you're sitting here like, we come to church, you're in the middle of 2 Samuel. I don't, I don't know this whole story. So let me give a little bit of context. I mentioned next week, we're gonna focus next week and ongoing, primarily just parables from the New Testament, parables from the life of Jesus. But let me tell you a little bit about what's happening in this story. Nathan was a prophet. He, he was David's pastor, King David. And David uh, had been on this ascent to kingship and Nathan had showed up in chapter seven. God speaks to Nathan and Nathan brings a word to David. Everything that God has given David, Nathan says, God wants to give you. You don't have to build the temple. He's gonna do that after you. Uh, Anything you wanna do, God wants to. He'd already brought a favorable word to David. Nathan has established himself in the life of David as A, somebody that hears God. If you wanna have a powerful voice in the lives of others, listen to God so that when God speaks to you or nudges you or encourages you, you have a gift to offer into your marriage with your kids or your roommates or your friends. Our most powerful legacy is, is not like, our platform and our social media follows. It's like listening to who God says we are and how we lead out from that. And so Nathan has already helped David kind of establish himself as king. And now David is living the life. He has power. He has authority. He is the king after a long, you know, a transition battle with Saul. Now David's got everything and they're having success. It's wild, but David wants something that he can't have. And that's the wife of another man, his neighbor Bathsheba. And isn't it just something how oftentimes we want what is foreign to us? We don't trust the things that God has given to be enough. And often, many of us can seek satisfaction in something else, in somewhere else. And it said earlier in 2 Samuel, in the spring, when the kings went out to war, David stayed home. 
a lot of danger happens when we drift from our calling and we drift from the places that God is calling us from boredom or fatigue. We don't really know. But where David had been out fighting battles, trusting God, seeing victory, seeing God move, he stays home. And in that place of isolation and boredom, sin sets in. To which I just like, just at church, is like 2020, 2021, right? From the places of isolation and loneliness and loss of calling, many of us experience temptation to isolate and we experience sin. And so David looks in the story of 2 Samuel, he sees the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. He brings her in a power play, in a lust move, brings her to, the, to, to his home, and he impregnates her. When he finds out she's pregnant, he brings Uriah back from the battle line and tries to construe like him being involved in the situation so maybe he'd be absolved. Uriah wants nothing to do with it. And now David has a bigger issue because he's trying to deal with this pregnancy from his lust and temptation. And then he sends Uriah to the battlefront, tells the leader, send Uriah up front where the heavy fighting will be. And then Uriah is killed. He goes from temptation to, to adultery to murder. And it's just, it's the way of sin, that the lie of sin is that we'll somehow fix this broken thing with more brokenness. And it's just never the truth. And isn't it something that it wasn't Goliath that slew David's faith? It was himself. It was his own brokenness within and from this place, Nathan doesn't bring a sermon. He doesn't bring a scripture. He brings a story. Look at 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 4. Dave, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan has already established he hears the word of God. He goes to David. He brings a story. Hey, David, there's two men in a certain town, a rich man, a poor man. Rich man had large number of sheep and cattle. Poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which is a female sheep about one year of age. He had bought it. It's all he had. That man raised the one sheep, grew up with him as children, shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. But when a traveler came to the rich man, the rich man refrained from taking one of his many sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who'd come. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. See, Nathan had already brought a positive word, like I said, in 2 Samuel 7. So now when he brings a story, David is eager to listen to him. And if you're somebody that always want to be like Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, uh, like being the truth teller, I want to encourage you. The world can hear your voice better if you learn how to affirm people too. Like we don't, we don't we, I love the voice of the prophet, but the prophet gets weary like find where God is speaking affirmation if you're also gonna have words of contempt or challenge for people. And so then David hears the story. Of course, the rich man in the story is David. The, the poor man is Uriah who was killed and his wife was stolen from him. The ewe lamb, the female sheep that was beloved in the story is Bathsheba. It is a horrible, painful story. And I've even heard from some people in the, in the services after the first couple of services, like, this is kind of a hard one, Scott. This is painful. And I want to encourage you, if you end up reading the rest of 2 Samuel 12, it's really a painful story because sin bears consequences. And that pregnancy doesn't come to fruition. And that's personal for me because my wife and I lost a full-term baby 12 years ago. I wish that life didn't turn out bad sometimes, but it does. And this story is a word and a caution 
that when we have unbridled temptation, that sin carries death with it. It does. And in the midst of that, there's something else that I want us to focus on. This thing about story and the thing about telling the truth to one another. Remember, I already said we have two goals. One, that you're growing in your faith. Two, that we learn to love each other again. That we establish through the even, it's like ambitious, I know, but this is what pastors do in our free time. Let's have a series called Parables and have the church learn to love each other again. Doesn't that sound awesome? I mean, it is awesome. Because we need to rebuild our relationship. There's so much loneliness. And the scriptures are full of being truth tellers one to another. Again, not throwing social media bombs at people over the fence, but loving each other enough to bring a story. Because a story isn't like a, a, a hateful thing. Like if I'm gonna tell you a story or you're gonna tell me a story, remember the woman who was bleeding and who just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' robe and then she touched him and power went out from him and then Jesus sat down with her. Do you remember what the Bible says? It says Jesus heard her whole story, the whole thing. Because a story connotates at least a relationship and a sticking around to work things out. And we gotta be people as the church that we're gonna tell story but we're gonna stay engaged in each other's life. Ephesians 4 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're actually connected. That's what God says about us as Christians. It's the call. And I know that feels like almost like, wow, that's hard to relate to, but that's what we're working our way back to. Zechariah 8 gives some mission statement as the people of God. These are the things you should do. Speak the truth to one another and then render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. See, we need spiritual friends if we're gonna be in storytelling communities. We cannot just go off to the desert and be like, you know what, I'm just me and Jesus, I'm alone, it's fine. Because who's gonna storytell with you? You need spiritual friendships. My kids are in high school right now. One just graduated. I'm constantly like, who do you know that is trying to follow Jesus too? Like if you're just alone out there, it's very lonely. And many of us have felt that. But God is calling us to rebuild spiritual friendship, rebuild this muscle of loving each other enough to tell each other stories and to listen to stories. Like Jethro to Moses in Exodus 12. This thing you're doing, it's not good but I'm not gonna break fellowship with you. We're gonna be in this until you figure it out. That's what story, that's how Jesus told stories. Jesus used story and parable as a way to grow things. And like I said, we're gonna be looking through the parable series with this relationship lens, but I wanna encourage us that we would be thoughtful about how to have grace for each other. Grace for each other, because most people in the world already know where they're blowing in. Just many of them have forgotten how to get back to God. So if you're gonna be a storyteller, a truth teller, if there's somebody in your life like, oh, Scott, you speak my language because this person that I love, they're like really failing right now. That's great, that's good. But I'm gonna encourage you, have grace. Because as soon as we check out because a situation that exposes our brokenness and we don't experience any grace, 
we're gone. We got to discover as a church how to have grace for each other. I was reading this uh, month, The Atlantic, just an article that came out just two weeks ago by an author, uh, Julie Beck. And uh, she does a piece in The Atlantic, a hundred of them now called The Friendship Files. And this was the culminating piece. They're not going to do it anymore. She's done last three years. Friendship is disrupted in society with all the pain we've been through. So they did these Friendship Files in The Atlantic. And Julie Beck said, this is the final one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some things I've learned about relationship. I was like, oh, that's interesting. She called the article, The Six Forces That Fuel Friendship. Interesting. This is a non-Christian source. She calls herself that as a person of non-faith. But, you know, she's done all these case studies. So what is the evidence of the forces that build true intimacy between friends? I won't go into all of it, but let me just give you the six things she says to grow relationships in the season ahead. She said the first thing we need is accumulation, like just sheer time and memories with each other. The second is attention. The third is intention. The fourth, ritual, like rituals of connection. The fifth, imagination, like how to stay pliable as your life changes, how to have imagination for growing in relationship. But it was the sixth value, the sixth force of friendship that really caught my eye. She said the sixth value that really allows relationships in this day and age, written two weeks ago, to flourish, grace. Grace. It's incredible. She says, though I'm not religious, I do love the concept of grace. Let me just pause Julie Beck here for a moment. The reason that we as a society even understand what grace is, that we even have it as a concept, is because the person work of Jesus Christ. The Roman Empire, the Jewish culture, there was not a, oh, that's great. They didn't even have a category. Grace is the, is the recip- receiving and living into something you can never earn on your own. That's countercultural to Rome, which was about power, or, or Israel, which was about obedience. Jesus Christ is why, as a culture, we have grace. So when Julie says, I'm not a person of faith, but I love the concept of grace. Guess what, Julie? Everyone does. And you need Jesus. But I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, ah, if you knew Jesus, you would understand where the concept of grace comes from. But I digress. Back to the quote. I'm not religious. I love the concept of grace, she says. A gift so profound it can never be earned or deserved. And so when I cite grace here as the final and most important force in friendship, I mean it in two ways. First, One is forgiveness, that we offer each other when we fall short. Number two, the second reason that grace is important is the space that creates for connections and reconnections that feel nothing short of miraculous. Remember, the world is already very aware of where they've fallen short, but grace through the concept of storytelling and rebuilding relationship allows us to be truth tellers that also love each other. See, grace, we sometimes think, is the concept that I'll never have an issue with anything. You know, it's like grace, like grace, do whatever you want. That's not grace. That's actually ignorance. Because if you watch somebody you love slowly leaving the life that they've committed to living and you don't say anything about it, that's not grace. That's callousness. Like that's, that's not the love of God. No, grace is saying, I love you too much to see you walk away from who you intend to be. And so I'm gonna tell you a story. We're gonna be in relationship and I'm not gonna give up for you. 
For me, again, easy part, giving you a sermon. Harder part, actually try to live the values. And I think every single one of us on stage or not, our challenge in the moment, live the values that we say we believe. If the church, full of us as the Christians, lived out from this place of loving God, loving others, transcendent in our relationships, move to justice and mercy and compassion, people would see in us a move of God. We would be the very change in the city we want to have happen. So for me... I try to live the concept that author Mark Battison says to be a hero in our home, to be a hero. It's very easy to go do a mission trip around the world. It's much, much harder that the people closest to me see me as a person living my values. We've got to become heroes in our home, in your marriages, with your kids, with your parents, with your roommates, in your classes, in your workplace that heroic pursuit of living your values. And we will fail, absolutely. How do I know? I fail all the time. The person who often reminds me of places I've missed it is my loving wife. And she loves me so much that if I'm drifting from who the person I wanna be, she loves me enough to say, you're, you're missing it. We miss so much when we get kind of into email or busyness or some obsession on the next job or the next this or that. But living our values will call us to sacrifice and obedience. She used a story to, to call me back one time. Many of you have seen the Steven Spielberg rendition of the Peter Pan story played by Robin Williams, the late, great Robin Williams. And in the story of Hook, Peter Pan grows up. And the obsession with finances and money and work and adulting. He's totally drifted from that core, the boy that was set out for adventure and goodness. And so to capture his attention when he's you know, on his phone and late to his kid's performance and not living his values, do you remember what his wife says? She turns to him in the movie and she says, you're missing it, Peter. You're missing it. And there was a season for me around that same time where I was like heading a sabbatical where my wife just looked at me. She says, you're missing it. You're like out trying to save the world, but you're not loving the people right in front of you. You're missing the very calling that you want to live. See, we need story to point out in places where we're drifting. And then as we see with David's story, it helps us with an awareness of sin, David's sin, our sin. Then what do we do with it? Look what happens in 2 Samuel 12 when David sees the sin. David burns with anger after he hears this story about the two fictitious men. And he burns with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this will die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing. He had no pity. He had no mercy. He had no compassion. So David knows the law and the book of Exodus says, if you steal a sheep, you will pay for it four times over. And he's burning with anger. The Hebrew word here for anger is exceedingly angry to the point of content. He wants to destroy this man. And isn't it interesting how easy it is to get angry with other behaviors and sometimes miss our own? And I know, and I'll just say a hard thing to you, sometimes anger is a signpost that there's things in our life that God wants to challenge us on. That when we're getting triggered to this burning anger, there might be some things that God wants to speak to you about the status of your own heart, some unresolved sin or hurt, and God wants to just invite you to look at that. But David, he's like, he's, this guy's gotta pay, he's gotta do the thing. I really need you to hear this because it's really true. It's possible to know the rules of the book, 
but miss the heart of the author. David knew the law. He, he knew what should happen to the fictitious men that stole the sheep. And somehow he had drifted. He had committed murder and adultery. And it's said that oftentimes our faith fails not in one cataclysmic decision, but in a million small movements of turning away from God as our center, as our foundation. Do you know the author of the book? And is your heart rendered to him? It is said, and it's true, when we come to faith, we receive salvation immediately and justification. But then the rest of our life, our flesh is so strong, it's slowly trying to tear down that new formed faith in us. And so daily, we need to learn where we've failed God and look at our sin and say these powerful words, Lord Jesus, will you change me? Will you change me? Will you make me more like you? God says he honors the humble and the hungry. And if we practice a prayer pursuit where we are seeking after God and when we blow it and we're mindful about our, our sin, it's an opportunity not to run into shame, not to blame others, but say, Lord Jesus, will you help me change? Over and over and over again, the scriptures say, God values when our inside matches our outside. Luke Eight, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Proverbs 28, whoever conceals sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. Proverbs 11, false balance, abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. First John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, the invitation that comes to this David story, and we'll be building upon this in the whole series, but when we see our brokenness, when we see that gap from who we are to who we aspire to be, we have a couple of options. Isolate, run, into shame or blame, or to say, Jesus, will you help change me? Will you make me more like you? C.S. Lewis said in the Screwtape Letters, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So when we fail, that's our opportunity to say, God, will you make me more like you? And when we do that, that's our third point that's in your, in your bulletin, your outline. I wanna talk a bit about salvation. Certainly like eternal salvation when we give our life to Jesus. But I'm also using salvation as any moment when we come to God in that gap from having our actual behavior, if we drifted from God's best revealed to us and how we invite God to redeem that time, redeem that brokenness and, and to make us saved. Look at verse seven, Second Samuel 12. Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, you are the man. You, you can't be mad at somebody else when it's your failure. And when we see our failure, that's the invitation to being transformed. We're gonna go into five weeks of parables. Let me just tell you one story from the life of Jesus because it's so rich on this invitation towards salvation when we see our brokenness. Jesus says in Luke 18, verse nine, he, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looking down on others, Jesus told them a story. In Jesus' story from Luke 18, Jesus says, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself. He prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like the others, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, not like David, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, guy number two in Jesus' story, stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus looks to the crowd and he says these incredible words. He says, I tell you that this man, number two, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Church, we should be really good at saying, Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's, it's actually, a, it's a prayer practice. It's called the Jesus prayer. And the church has been praying those words for 2,000 years. I'd love to challenge you or encourage you in the week ahead. You can combine that with a breath prayer. And this week, when you get stressed, or anxious, afraid, if you're mindful of sin, brokenness of the gap, invite Jesus into that for a moment of salvation. Set your watch or your, your phone, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, and breathe in. Lord Jesus, Son of God, blow it out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And watch what happens in your discipleship journey when you stop running and you stop blaming and you stop playing games. And you say, Jesus, take those gaps, take those sins and make me whole. And a lot of sin happens when we run from who God has made us to be or we have a false narrative. And we invite you in the season ahead, church, to do the work, to to be people of both story and recognizing if there's sin and then be inviting Jesus into the salvation. One thing I wanna say here as we wrap up, you know, Nathan is sent by God. Those two words at the beginning of 2 Samuel 12 are so powerful because I know for some of you in this room, you've been operating for much of your life under a false word that somebody gave you. Somebody came and spoke a word of hate or shame or condemnation and you've been, you've been responding as if a Nathan spoke over you and it was nonsense. They weren't sent by God. It was a, it was a parent or a coach or a, I don't, I don't know your stories. But if you've had a false word spoken over you that's keeping you imprisoned into a season of shame or doubt or regret, invite Jesus into that. Get rid of it. That was the story of Joseph in Genesis. Remember, his brothers told him he was worthless. His master's wife called him an adult. Joseph's like, it's not true. And then he sat in jail for 12 years and he was finally free and said, what you meant for evil, God has used for good. Someone in this room needs to be free from a false Nathan. So how do you know if somebody brings you, how do you know if it's a, if it's a God word or a false word? You need, you need discernment. And this is why being filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian is so important so that when somebody says, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing in your life, you can discern. You pray, Jesus, is this you speaking to me? You read the scripture and see, does it line up with scripture? And third, you have spiritual friends in a small group here at Green Lake or in church or someone where you're like, hey, can I process this thing? This is what I, I, I just sit with a spiritual director to just do this work of discernment, of wisdom, of salvation, of being aware of the places and gaps in the sin and saying, God, today, set me free. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And guess what? Tomorrow, I'm gonna need to pray it again. And the next day, and the next day. And I wish it wasn't so. I wish I could tell you, like, you're gonna reach this certain level and then you're good to go. It's just not true because the flesh is strong and the enemy is strong. But guess what? Your God is stronger 
Your God is stronger. Second Corinthians says we worship the kingdom of God. It's not just a kingdom of words. It's a word of power. Jesus is a chain breaker. And how this story ends, that pregnancy does not come to fruition. But David would have a later son, and guess what he'd name him? Nathan. And if you look in Luke at the genealogy of Jesus, guess who is a forefather of Jesus? David's son, Nathan. God wants to write new stories in your life, church. Salvation stories, hopeful stories. I've been hearing them all morning and I wanna speak. If you feel like stuck in an old story, oh, I've been praying about this sin of blank for so long, Scott. Believe in God's power and stay committed through story through looking at sin and asking God for a salvation and stay in the fight. In my own life, that pastor that spoke those words over me, this doesn't look good on you. I did some work. I took some the summer to read the Bible, to journal like crazy, to meet with professionals, to get back to being a hero in my home, to stay vigilant, to not drift off from being anchored on the rock of Christ. And I came back and she pulled me aside and she said, I can see you've been with the Lord. I can see the peace and the joy. She said, it's like Moses when he came down from the mountain. Because when you live into this new freedom, these salvation stories, man, you will be glowing from the inside out. I wanna speak hope over you, church. May this be a summer that your faith would grow. And may this be a season that our relationships would grow. Does that sound good? All right, let me pray. Jesus, thanks so much for this moment, for this incredible story of David. And God, I just pray that you're not, even now, God, you're not allowing us to just silo off and feel shame and isolation or blame. That God, that you would be inviting us in this conversation today through story. If there's places of sin that are coming up in our lives, God, that you would be encouraging us to confess and repent places we've missed living after the best life in you. And you'd be moving us closer to your heart. God, allow us to be a church of relationship. Allow us to be people of grace that speak the truth but stick around and love each other that we would be ruthlessly committed to growing in you and saying lord jesus have mercy on us sinners but sinners who have your power and sinners who have your grace and sinners who have been marked with your identity people of god Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this day. In your name we pray, amen. Will you close or stand with us as we close in song?